Coach Clyde Hart, former Baylor track and field coach. He is just off uh, the course at Cottonwood Creek, right behind our studios here, and comes right in here. Coach, we got air conditioning for you. We'll get you a water or Gatorade or something like that. Mosey, get up close to that mic, but welcome to you, and uh, appreciate you coming in today. Thank you, John. It is cool in here. <laughs> this beats where I've been the last three hours, but uh, <laughs> glad to be here. Yeah, you're... Thursday's your normal golf day. Tuesday, Thursday, is that normal for you? Usually we try to look at the weather. Okay. And uh, if we don't have the, the rain, then we select the days that uh, can, can be clear. There you go. But Monday and Thursday usually is what we try to do. Monday, Stay Thursday. away from the weekend. Uh, we have a foursome, and uh, uh, we play different places and uh, have a great good time. Who is your normal foursome? Who are those? Who's your, what's your normal group? Well, i got uh, uh, Chuck. Uh, Mulliner, which is Tom okay. Hill. Yep. And we have uh, David, and David's from, he got in here from San Diego. We found him on the golf course wandering around, <laughs> and he just beats the heck out of okay. us. Okay. And uh, we have Carl, and Carl's from down the valley, and yep. Carl uh, uh, is a good guy. They're all good people, and uh, we, we enjoy them. That's a good group. It is. Very good group. And you were saying uh, they're all youngsters compared to you. Yeah, you know, they're, they're <laughs> 65, 70. Uh, Chuck, Chuck is 82, I believe. So okay. He's he's there. Yeah, still a, still a whippersnapper. Though. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, appreciate your time. And my thought was the Olympics are going on. There's nobody in this city that knows the Olympics and have been a part of more Olympics than you. So uh, that's what I want to talk about. I want to okay. get you to tell some stories, go back. Uh, sure. Some of the great successes sure. you've had. Let me remind people, you coached track and field athletes who won not just medals but gold medals in Olympics for six straight Olympics. From '92 to uh, to what to 2012. That's right, and that is a remarkable stretch. Michael Johnson is in there. Uh, Jeremy Warner, uh, Daryl Williamson uh, in there. Uh, who else beyond that? Sonia well, Richards Ross. Sonia, uh, of course, Reggie. I coached at Baylor, and then of course Mike yep. uh, coached him that year after that. So I kind of claim him a little bit, Reggie <laughs> Witherspoon, but. Um, uh, yeah, I had uh, at least one gold medal for six straight Olympics, and I think I had a total of 13 gold medals altogether. Wow. Uh, and a silver and a bronze. And, uh, uh, in fact, in 2000, and, well, 2000, in uh, Australia, uh, we got first and second in the 400 because I was coaching a kid named Greg Halton, whose, yeah. whose son played football at Midway. You yeah, remember him. I remember him, yeah. Went on to Oklahoma. Right. Uh, well, Greg... Uh, came down and trained with us uh, that year of the Olympics. Uh, he had gone to George Mason University, NCAA champion, and had kind of wandered around for two or three years and was not really satisfied. And Michael and I decided it would be good for Michael to have a training partner. And lo and behold, he, he became Michael's uh, a top competition in the Olympics. <laughs> and uh, he actually finished third, but the guy that finished second uh, got DQ'd for drugs. So, mm. Uh, Greg should have been promoted up, and I believe he was to second place. Man, that's great. Can we go back to 92? Uh, 90, now let's go back to 92. Let's start at 92 with Michael, and uh, that was what, you know sort of the breakthrough. That's where that string started for you. What was that like to, uh, to get him finally healthy enough to break through and medal like he did? Well, it's kind of a shame. In 1988, Michael was, was one of the top collegiates 200 runners. We had not really moved him up, although he ran the 400 on the uh, relay and always ran uh, great splits, and we knew that eventually the 400 was going to be equal as good as the two. 
But at the NCAA championship, uh, Michael was in the finals and probably would have won the 200. Uh, and midway in the race, he broke a bone. And uh, that knocked him out. And bless his heart, for six weeks, we worked out in the swimming pool because yeah. he wouldn't give up. And we went to the Olympic trials up in Indianapolis without training at all. And, and uh, he made an effort. And I told him, although his uh, – his, uh, and we went with the 400 because we thought that would be better because, simply because he didn't know how much pressure he could put mm -hmm. on that leg after six weeks. So it was pretty, pr pretty ugly. So for the next four years, Michael was uh, – uh, he was upset. He was ready. And it, it turned out that in 92, really ran great year. Uh, he won the Olympic trials, barely missed the world record in the 200. And then his agent and Michael decided, let's get in two more meets because it is a profession. You, you try to go uh, make some money. And they went to Spain. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in Spain, they got a hold of some bad chicken. And Mike came home and had never missed a workout the whole time I coached him through Baylor and up through 92. I think I started him in 87, I believe, with spring. It was his first year at Baylor. And he never missed a workout. And that Monday, he didn't show for workout. I said, I can't figure what's happening because he didn't call. And I called home. His mother answered the phone. said, Coach Michael's in bed. said, he is really sick. said, he's been throwing up. Uh, he just doesn't feel good. Maybe he can be there tomorrow. Well, next day came, didn't show. He didn't make it the whole week. He lost 10 pounds, uh, and Michael had no weight to lose because he was totally lean and ready to go. So he was losing um, uh, muscle. So we go on over to Barcelona, and we think, well, he'll, he'll be fine. But uh, he wasn't. Uh, he didn't make it out of the first rounds of the 200 and was ready to pack up and come home. And although he had like 10, 12 days before they were going to run the 4 before relay, which he was going to be on, uh, and I – almost had to physically restrain him. I know his dad was there and trying to say, Michael, you don't want to uh, to give up, uh, as we've seen in these Olympics, that we've had some people that have made that other decision. But Michael, I uh, convinced him, I said, Michael, at 95%, at you're better than anybody else they can put on that relay. You owe it to the country. And he did. He stayed and ran, and they, uh, they won the Olympic, and he got his gold medal. But it wasn't the one he wanted. He wanted an individual medal. So we fast forward to, to 96, so now it's four more years of being mad. And uh, I was all excited because then he started running the 400 as well as the two, and, and he was the best in the world by far in the 400 and, and the 200. And I, I thought, well, he'll pick probably the uh, 400 in the Olympics because that will be probably the more sure thing because a lot of things can happen to 200. Uh, it's going to be closer because mm -hmm. it's half the distance and, and you could stumble or slip or not be ready And because uh, he had lost a race or two, maybe in 200 in his career. He hadn't been beaten in the four, so I felt like he'll go in the four. And he shows up in my office during the fall of, uh, 90, of 1996 and said, Coach, we need to talk. I said, sure, let's talk. And he said, I decided I want to run both the two and the four in the Olympics. And I'm startled because, mm -hmm. you know, our goal is to get his first individual gold mm -hmm. medal. And I kind of say, well, Mike, uh, you know, let's think about this. You don't want to jeopardize because those events overlap now. You you got you got to run eight races, four in each of them, and they overlap before you can run the, finish one of them. you got to start running the other one. It's very, very hard. He said, well, Maybe I can convince – well, actually, this was 95. We mm -hmm. had the world championships coming up. And he had decided if he would attempt that in, in uh, 
uh, Sweden uh, and Gothenburg that maybe if you could show the Olympic Committee that it could be done, it would be a, a big thing for television to, to emphasize no man had ever won both the two and the four. So I said, well, that would be a good test run. And he goes to Gothenburg, and I'm there with him, and he wins both of them and almost breaks the world record in both of them. Uh, got close. So he easily showed the Olympic Committee, and people think that we lobbied and all that. We didn't. I think they were smart enough to realize it being in the United States, that will turn on a lot more televisions if you got something to sell, that here's a guy going to try to do something that's never been done. Uh, and so that was the plan. After 95 in the World Championships, and he had won both of them, but the difference was in the World Championships, you only have to run three rounds in each of them. Now, at the Olympics, it's four rounds. Mm -hmm. So that's eight races in eight days, and it's at the highest level. So that led up to the Olympics, and that, that's why it wasn't my idea. Uh, but I agreed with Michael when he said, let's do it. I said, Michael, if you're willing to do it, you know we're going to have to work harder. You have to be in better shape. He said, Coach, I know all of that. And he did it, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. What a great story. So it was his idea. It wasn't really yours. Did you? Absolutely. In fact, did you, have it, you ever oh, had well, that thought crossed your mind for I, him to do the double or try the double? No, it never occurred to me simply because I knew that he could win either one of them. I just knew he could do it. I figured the four was a sure bet. Uh, again, because the 200 could always be closer, though I think he could would have won. Well, he did win both of them. But, and he could also get another medal on the 4x4 relay. Right, so right. that's two medals. Never dreamed that, uh, you know, he had a shot to get three. It turns out he only got two because during the, f the final yards of the 200 that set the world record, he got a cramp and uh, couldn't run the relay. So uh, <laughs> that was okay. He'd gotten two gold medals. He got the Olympic record, and he got a world record. So... Uh, it, it was a pretty good day. I would say so. 96, a great year. How much, uh, you said he was mad for all that time because yeah. he'd had the injuries when he was here yeah. and yeah. trying to move on and yeah. really, really good, but just yeah. couldn't get past the injury and then the food poisoning. Yeah. That How much did that drive him leading in, going into 96? Well, I know that it, it drove me and uh, a whole lot. And if he was madder than I was, which I don't think he would have been because I know that I was just so disappointed for him missing that opportunity to do what we knew he could do. He was the biggest kept secret in the world up until he broke through and did what he did. Uh, but it, it was just one of those situations that that uh, you, you hope for the best. And he worked hard. He told me something months after the Olympics that I did not know, and he I don't know if he was embarrassed to tell me, but he told me one day, he said, Coach, because you have to be there for the moment. When he entered the stadium for the finals of the 200, the, the cameras or the phones, the lights were just blinking everywhere, and then the crowd start, Michael, Michael, yeah. Michael. And you hear about hair raising on your arms. And he, it literally did. I'd never been in a situation that was so wow. pressure-packed. Well, Michael didn't get the best lane. In fact, he got the worst lane. The, the international have a crazy rule. Uh, though Michael had the fastest time, he didn't get the best lane. In, in the 200, an outside lane is better because yeah. the curve is, is, is less to run. So they drew between lanes three, four, five, and six, and he got three, huh. which is the tightest lane on the right. track. But Michael was a great curve runner, so it didn't really bother him or me. But what he told me later, he said, Coach, after I got over and and uh, got in my blocks and 
just that moment before the starter said, get set, which is probably a matter of seconds. He said, it just all of a sudden hit me that if I don't win this race, everybody's going to consider me a failure. Huh. There I've won the 400, got a gold medal, uh, broke the Olympic record in the 400, but if I don't do this, I'm going to be a failure. He said, but before I could think on it, the starter said, set, fired the gun. And if you look back at the films of that, he actually got out of the block so hard that adrenaline was so forceful at that moment that he stumbled and almost had to catch himself. He wow. got out so hard. But the guy that was in the lane outside of him, he actually caught him within three or four yards, mm -hmm. which was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And his first 100 was uh, uh, would have placed him in the open 100 of the race. I mean, he, he just <laughs> flew. Uh, but he got that rush of adrenaline at the right time. And there was really a reason for that, which was another really – a kept secret, and probably we took a chance of, of getting in trouble, but I knew the, the Olympics being in Atlanta and USA, there wasn't going to be a lot done because there's nothing in the rules. But he, he had eight races in eight days. However, we had a, a day break between the four and the two, but the two was going to be twice in one day. So he still had eight races oh, in yeah, eight yeah. days. Uh -huh. It's stupid. He had to run the semifinals, have two hours break, come back and run the finals. Well, they had told them all, after you run the semis, those that make the finals, you're going to go into a room underneath the stadium. There's about 60 or 70 yards of a warm-up track, and you're going to be able to stay in there and warm up and look at those other seven guys, mm -hmm. and your adrenaline's going to be going all this time. And I said, Michael, we're not doing that. Yeah, that's weird. I said, I'm going to have a van because I know where they're going to come off the track and knew where that room was. I said, when they turn to go in there, you just keep walking fast, and that van's going to be there, and you jump in, and we're going back to the warm-up track, which was about a half a mile away. Okay. Uh, and we did that. And those guys were all yelling, on, on, and Michael just going, we jump in the van, we go. And we go over there, and the lights are off. We only have the street lights burning, but we can see. Yeah. But we got him away from that, and I said, now, Michael, what we're going to do we're considering that's just like another race. You've run seven. You got them out of the way. This is number eight. We're going to warm up, but we're going to do everything just the half of the amount that we did previously. And we did that. Everything that we had done prior to the semis, we just cut in half. And I looked at my watch and said, we need to get back over. The van was waiting, took us over, got there, and they were walking out of that ante room. And Michael just jumped in the line <laughs> and went out. But I figure that – that, that adrenaline did not hit him until he got aware in the blocks and realized, and maybe some of those other guys have been sweating it the whole time underneath yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. We'll never know, but I know that I felt better having him away from it and, and out of it and uh, get his mind on just what we need to do. What a great move. That's yeah. a great move. All right, we need to take a break. Can you stay? I can. All right, appreciate it. Enjoy the air conditioning. Now back to today's JMO Radio Show. From the Alan Samuel Studios, here's the voice of the Bears, John Morris. Back with us, John Morris Show on this Thursday afternoon. We are honored to have Coach Clyde Hart in studio with us today. Uh, great stories from Coach Hart. We sort of started with Michael in 1992, but uh, Coach, your Olympic experience, if you will, uh, goes back a lot further than that. So go back to 1968. I was a young coach and my pastor at First Baptist Church 
asked me one Sunday if I was going to go to the Olympics. Of course, I had no athlete then good enough to, to go to the Olympics and didn't know if I ever would, just like a lot of coaches. You know, you dream, maybe you'll get an athlete someday in the Olympics. And I told him, no, I, I couldn't, and I actually couldn't afford it. Uh, well, I'm about two or three weeks before the Olympics, he calls me and said, I need to talk to you. Well, when your pastor asks you to talk to you, you get word. <laughs> right. And so uh, I go to his office, and he hands me an envelope. And he had uh, somehow gotten the money. Uh, Dr. Flanders, Jack Flanders, uh, a great, great guy, World War II fighter pilot, uh, quite a man, Baylor graduate. Uh, and I looked at it, and he said he had ordered it out of a group, out of a Don Canham, who was an athletic director and track coach up at Michigan, had a tour group. that He did that on the side, and this was supposed to be the best tour thing set up. Huh. A very expensive, highest-priced tickets, first to everything. Well, it was good. And I remember one of the guys on it was Oliver Jackson, uh, coaching at Abilene Christian College at the time, who later on had Bobby Marr that won. But he didn't have Olympic at the time. Okay. And he was on the tour, and we became friends and did some things. And what was funny, he told me one day, he said, man, I'd love to go to the Olympic Village. And I said, I would, too. That would be really great. And I, but I said, you know, the security in Mexico City really is going to be tight. In fact, what they had done before, before the Olympics, they had arrested every known criminal, every known pickpocket, and just put them in jail oh, during the Olympics. So uh, that, that, that's how serious they were. Yeah. And I said, well, let's go over there and let's just check it out. Well, we, we take a, a bus over there. And the buses themselves were unusual, what, what they did. Greatest idea. They had hundreds of these beautiful, seemed like they were Mercedes buses that they had brought in. And they had them painted purple and yellow and green. And each color would be where you would go. If you oh, want to nice. go swimming, you would get on the purple bus. You want to go to track, you get on. And, and so you just waited at these bus stops. When that bus came, you got on. Smart. So we took the bus over to the uh, uh, tracks, uh, to, to the village. And there was a line about, all oh, 25 yards long, most of it media people. And, and I look at what they're doing, and they're all showing a, a pass. You Some have it around their neck. Some are showing a card. And I said, Oliver, look in your billfold and see if you got, and I believe it was Exxon or Enco at that time <laughs> that was red, white, and blue striped card. Right. And I looked in billfold, and I said, I've got one of these. Do you? He said, I do. I said, well, get it out. <laughs> So just follow me. Well, I had a handful of USA pins, and that's a big thing at the Olympics, swapping pins. You go up to somebody and you give them a USA Olympic pin, and they'll give you one from Hungary, or they'll give you one from China, and it's a collection. So I said, I've got some pins. Here, take a couple and just follow me. So we'll go up, and the first guy, you know, I'm holding a deal, but before I do that, I hand him a pen. Oh, he's excited, and I just show that card. He rushes me through. <laughs> Oliver does the same thing. Now we're inside the facility, right. and we, we look around, and, and we go to the dining hall, and we eat a great meal. Oh, my gosh. And now it's about time for the opening ceremonies. And we said, Oliver, we got to figure out how we're going to get over to the stadium. I said, let's watch what these athletes do. Well, they got on a bus. So we just get on a bus, athletes and some officials and coaches and uh, no one asked for a credential, and it takes us into the stadium. But what we weren't counting on, that stadium was in a the big soccer stadium. There's a moat around there about no, 10 foot really. deep with the bars. What they let you off, you entered into that moat. Now the athletes went into a dressing room down there. And I said, Oliver, we got to figure out how to get out of this moat because our seat's up there. <laughs> we finally found a, an entrance. We could get out. 
And I said, let's look for our seats now, because we had these expensive, supposedly, seats. And I remember Track and Field News had a what we called a penny tour, the cheapy. Uh, a lot of coaches had it because they, they were supposed to have the cheap seats and nothing right. first class. And the first thing I noticed, I noticed this group of guys right right there in the middle of the stadium, right on finish line, up high, uh, what they call the peso uh, uh, tickets that the Mexican government had decided they don't keep so many hundred seats for the Mexican people. They're called peso seats. Well, these guys, I recognized them. They were sitting up there in the great. I said, man, look at where those guys got. No telling where our seats are. We must be right on the finish line. We walked around, and finally we asked somebody, where are these seats? And the guy pointed. I said, can't be. Pointed underneath the scoreboard <laughs> in some box seats. And that's where our seats were. We couldn't see anything. Well, what they had done, they had set up the Olympic tickets based on a soccer stadium. Oh, and underneath where the goals are scored, that's the best seat. Yeah. Well, the finish line, you can't see it. You, we, could, we couldn't see the results up on the board. I said, Oliver, we just got to find another seat. So we walked down, and it was early in the day, and the opening ceremony was fixed to start. And this is the, the funniest thing. People ask me, what was the greatest opening ceremony? And there's some, been some great ones. The one in China was unbelievable. The uh, one in Barcelona was super. Just all of them were so unbelievable. But the best one I ever saw, I believe to this day, we're sitting there, and I'd say, Oliver, we got about 15 minutes for the opening ceremony, and stands are filling up and everything. I said, look look at the field. It's a beautiful green grass. I said, but it looks a little high, doesn't it? Are they going to throw the discus? And I said, it's, it's, this looks a little high. Well, all of a sudden, this Mexican marching music starts over the loudspeakers. It's loud. It's drums are going. And, and on the far end, here comes out these tractors and uh, uh, mowers, green yeah. and gold. They start down, and they're right in tune with the music. They're, they're in lined up, and they're mowing the field. Huh. They get to the very end and stop. Here comes some other tractors out that have a little trailer on the back. They get out all in the same step, get out, unload the grass, put it in the other little trailer, <laughs> come down the field, mowing back that way. As soon as the music stops, they're exactly at the finish line. I mean, it was Corey. I said, that's the best opening ceremony. That's and that crazy. wasn't the opening ceremony. But <laughs> mowing that grass right into the music and doing it was wonderful. But so uh, we were sitting right there in these 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 cheap seats. It wasn't very many people. It was early in the day, and the long jump was going. And we saw Bob Beeman when he broke the world record. Uh, uh, the world record at that time was, was uh, 20... 20 uh, seven, six, or eight in that neighborhood. Okay. And uh, when Beeman jumped, they had the uh, measuring device was on a rail, and they had a little scope, and they would read it. Mm. The new new deal. Well, he jumped so far, the guy doing it went off the rail with it, and they had to go find a tape measure. Oh. Uh, to set a world record, it's got to be a metal tape measure. So there was about a 10, 15-minute break, and then it started drizzling rain. So now those other jumpers, he was like the first or second jumper, and he jumped beyond. He didn't ever jump 28 feet. He went from the world record 27-something to 29, so he skipped that whole barrier, just like Michael did in the 200. You know, Michael went from, from the world record that he had set of 1966 to 1932, so he skipped 1950s, 1940s, uh, which is just unheard of. Right. So we saw that world record, and uh, uh, unbelievable. So I, I said, we still got our ticket here. I said, give me your ticket, 
The guy sitting next to him, I said, can I borrow your stub? So he gives me his stub. I go outside. Now, I didn't scout these tickets. I sold them for face value, and those suckers were, by today's money, they were high. They yeah. were a couple of hundred dollars. So we had enough money to go out and eat a big meal at night <laughs> and uh, buy some presents. And I actually, we did that every day for the for the whole Olympics. We got, we went to, by then we we knew the people that were security because they expected another pen. And we just showed them, and we, we made the Olympic Village every day, ate meals, went to the, the track meet uh, for the duration of the deal. So That's that was great. my first experience. And uh, lo and behold, if Oliver didn't end up with, with a great track guy, several of them. Uh, and I did too. So we were both young coaches and uh, didn't know we'd ever have him. But he ended up with Bobby Marr, who ended up winning the, uh, he was from Texas, ended up winning the 100, 200, and get, got the relay. And then he had a couple of other kids that made the Olympics, and of course, the ones I did. So that was my first, and uh, my pastor was in charge of that. And so I had a big gap from 1968 to the next one was in 92 okay. that I went to uh, uh, Barcelona. That's a great story, going back to 68. What about, we talked about Michael. Uh, tell, me, tell me about Jeremy. Well, uh, Jeremy and yeah, Daryl, you had both yeah, those guys there for a yeah. couple of Olympics. Well, I, you know, I, Michael put the pressure on me. <laughs> Jeremy and Michael and Daryl, they were both, uh, uh, Jeremy was a, a sophomore and Daryl was a junior. And uh, Jeremy had been hurt his freshman year, didn't even win the conference. Uh, uh, but he kept him healthy his sophomore year, and he won everything. He won the NCA indoor, outdoor. Uh, we won the relay. We won. He ran everything. People said a collegiate kid would be worn out for the Olympics. Well, he not only won indoors in the 400, ran on a relay that won. He won the outdoors regionals on two relays and the quarter. Then went on to the NCA and won in all the rounds. Uh, not only did he win the Open, but we won the relay with him running rounds. And he goes on to the Olympic trials, and he and Daryl both make the Olympic team. Well, when they do, Michael came up and said, Coach, you got a little pressure. Now you got a chance to show that it just wasn't a fluke that you got me that gold medal. Now you you got two others here. <laughs> I said, thanks a lot, Michael. <laughs> so uh, we go over, and actually Jeremy wasn't the favorite. Uh, I thought he should have been, but he wasn't. Uh, Sports Illustrated picked kid named Franz Seek from Granada uh, as the as the winner. He had gone to LSU in the States and uh, uh, had run over here, and he was favored. Uh, but the long story was that uh, he didn't get a medal, and USA swept it one, two, three, and Jeremy uh, uh, won it in 44 seconds flat. But what was funny, I, I, uh, Michael Ford was with me. I took Michael. He was a young coach, now our new head coach at Baylor. And I wanted Michael to get that experience. And he had helped recruit Jeremy, and I thought he deserved to go. And, and we got over there, and we were there. And so we go down into the bowels of the stadium and find them where they're getting ready to go outside to get their award. Well, right before that, I had run down to the rail, and, and Jeremy was taking his victory lap. He runs over, and his eyes are really big. And of course, he's excited, and I said, Jeremy, do you realize what you just did? And his answer, I never will forget. He says, Coach, I broke the school record. <laughs> and I said, Jeremy, you won the gold medal. You're, you're not even 20 years old, and you just won the gold medal. He said, yeah, but, Coach, it was my last chance to break the school record. Oh, I got man. Michael's record. <laughs> and so great? That was his – I mean, that really – That was his thought, was, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he, he, he knew he was going to turn pro uh, after that. If he won the gold, he was going to turn pro. <laughs> and uh, But what was poetic justice, 
the guy, uh, Franz Sieg, who was supposed to win the thing, did, didn't get the medal. But the guy presenting the medals was the Caribbean representative from Granada. They was getting oh, the medals. Wow. <laughs> so uh, uh, Jeremy got the medal, and uh, but I never will forget. I mean, any other kid would have said, oh, I just won the Olympics. Yeah. But that was his big thing, get, getting Michael's school record. And he's right. He got the school record. That's amazing. Can you stay with us through one more break? Sure. All right, appreciate it. Let's take a break, Aaron. Board uh, Watch with your ESPN Central Texas Sports Center update, brought to you by Slovakic Sausage and West. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bosley accused ESPN of encouraging other conferences to pick apart the league so Texas and Oklahoma can move to the SEC more quickly without paying a massive buyout. Texas A&M Board of Regents voted 8-1 to last night to direct President Catherine Banks to vote in favor of extending invitations to Oklahoma and Texas to join the SEC. Dak Prescott left practice with a sore shoulder and and an MRI showed a strained muscle in his right shoulder. Prescott will be day-to-day for the Cowboys. NBA draft tonight, and Baylor's Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler are expected to go in the first round. Astros start a series tonight with the Giants, 8:45 first pitch. Joey Gallo is heading to the Yankees in return for four minor leaguers. Rangers have the night off tonight before starting a series with the Mariners tomorrow night. Sports Center every 20 minutes, only on ESPN Central Texas. with us john morris show on this thursday and pleased to have coach clyde hart in studio with us telling some uh, great olympic stories coach we've only got an hour here so uh <laughs> we're gonna have to curtail some of those stories uh you need to put these down in a book that's uh you're working on that aren't you we are yeah yeah good. Uh, bryce cherry yes who is the best sports writer in the country uh he's uh he's got so many things going uh, some of those things that, that come out in the paper, like the story on Michael, I told him, okay, we got one chapter right there. <laughs> so he's got about, I don't know how many hours that that when we were both really pinned down with the pandemic, we, we did a lot of sessions. So oh, he's got lots of hours of tapes that he's transcribing. And he'll get around to doing it. But Good. Yeah. I've already got the title, but uh, we don't have the book yet. What, can you tell us the title? Or are yeah. you going to keep that secret? Once Around's Enough. That's <laughs> pretty good. 400 meters. Once around is enough. Very good. What's What's been your favorite uh, location uh, Olympic-wise? Or let me include Olympics, World Championships, just in all your travels. What's been your favorite spot to go to? Oh, gosh. They all have been different. Uh, probably, you know, I enjoyed uh, 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 Athens, mm-hmm. although it wasn't all completed probably still in but uh just the <laughs> the history of the olympics being in greece and and uh, seeing that uh that that was exciting because of the, the history that this is where it all began so i think greece would be right up there but e- each country that's put it on i thought uh beijing did amazing thing and if i got time i gotta tell one quick story sure. there because it's funny okay i worked with the chinese uh before the olympics they sent over uh, 400 kids uh, leading up Michael's company that he had worked the deal. He got them over. I coached them. They had coaches with them and uh, trying to get them ready. And we did set a national record with their, their relay. But one of them, they all took American names. One of them took the name Sam. He was the youngest one. He made the Olympic team. 
Uh, well, after I got over to Beijing, I was staying at Beijing University, which the security was unbelievable. Uh, the Chinese had taken nearly all the public transportation off the street. They only had taxis mo mostly running. Well, anyhow, Sam's sister spoke English, and she had sent an email back to my wife that she, Sam wanted to meet with me, said he wanted to meet with his coach. And I kept telling him, I'm not your coach. Your coach is in China, but I'm his coach. And I, I told my wife, you got to tell the sister, he cannot security. He can't come over here. I'll have to run into him at the Olympics at the warm-up okay, okay. be on there. Well, the very next day, I leave the facility and go out to catch a cab in front of the McDonald's, which is right there, in Beijing with millions of people, what, 10 million, 12, a cab pulls up that I'm going to take, the back door opens, and it's Sam. Oh, my gosh. The odds <laughs> Vegas would not do that. He's, right. a, he's in his Chinese Olympic uniform with an interpreter with him bearing gifts, and I had to tell him, Sam, we can't go into the facility. We'll go into McDonald's. So we had a great visit at the at McDonald's. But the odds of that, I just thought, unbelievable that the old Sam was determined to see me. And so he had come on to Beijing University, which he couldn't have got in. Yeah. And I, if I happened to have been right there at that taxi place and he opened the door, yeah, that's a cab. We've got in yeah. later. Um, so I thought that was unusual and uh, uh, enjoyed. And then I'm in the stands at the Olympics. And how those kids found me, about six of them died coach. They had all made the Olympic team. They all looked me up in the stands wow. and whatever. So it was it was a fun deal. That's great. Man, such great stories. Well, we appreciate you coming in. Thanks. It's good to see you. Uh, glad you survived your round of golf earlier today in the heat and, uh, and then came right over here for us. So we appreciate it very much. And uh, thanks for sharing with us. Well, thank you, John. Enjoyed it. And uh, uh, Michael's 25 years are going by too fast. So uh, it, it's been enjoyable talking about that and celebrating it, and uh, uh, thank you for everything. Great memories, great memories. Coach, thanks very much. Thank you. Coach Clyde Hart with us.